Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, hey there, friend. I was hoping you'd be by tonight. See, I found this little bag of white powder in my library just after you left last week. This look familiar, pal? Oh, really? Well, all right, you're off the hook, friend. It's Chester's. No wonder he's so fidgety all the time. Come on in, friend. Hmm. Well, tonight we welcome back our old pal W.B. Stickle. So smoke them if you got them and drink those glasses to the bottom, y'all. Cause your old buddy drew blood as a tell to tell. Yo, yo, kick that rigmarole. Oh, hey, I didn't see you there. You know, Drew Blood's Dark Tales is only one of the many shows on this network you could be listening to. We hope you'll subscribe to our entire lineup, including... Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, Scary Stories Told in the Dark, Fear from the Heartland, and Horror Hill. All available on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. Also, visit simplyscarypodcast.com to become a patron. For as little as $5 a month, you get our entire catalog ad-free and available to download or stream. A bargain. And now, back to the show. Tonight's story is a unique reminder that just about anything can go sideways. To demonstrate, from author W.B. Stickle, I give you Dandelion Spring.
The two golden retrievers stared up at Walter expectantly. Behind them, their tails swishing back and forth on the linoleum like frenzied feather dusters. Buenos dias, Gigi, Walter said to the one on the left, the one with the distinctive white patches on her paws. Guten Morgen, Bella, he then said to her slightly larger twin. You ladies in the mood for some breakfast? Both dogs perked up at the word breakfast and issued a pair of impatient whines, which Walter interpreted to mean, Come on, human, you know we're hungry. Must we always play these silly games? All right, all right, he said with a smirk. Message received. He turned around, slid open the pantry's bifold doors, and rolled out the large sealed bin that contained their dry dog food. Some sort of healthy weight Purina blend, he believed. He cracked open the lid and transferred two hearty scoops into each of their bowls. The twin Goldens did not wait for permission to dig in. Chuckling at their impetuousness, Walter rolled the bin back into place and drifted over to the coffee station that his wife Marianne had put together the previous fall, after seeing a similar setup in a cooking magazine. At the station's centerpiece sat one of those fancy Keurig machines, which was presently dispensing his first cup of coffee of the day. Perfect timing, he said, as the last of the coffee came sputtering out the device. Next to the Keurig stood a tray with a variety of non-dairy creamers and sugar alternatives. Walter selected the pumpkin spice bottle from the mix and was about to pour it in when someone outside began shouting obscenities. Goddamn motherfucking shit-eating weeds! I'll kill every last one of you rotten sons of bitches! Just you fucking wait! Recognizing the voice, Walter set the creamer down and went to the little window set above the kitchen sink which Marianne had left open overnight. Through the window's insect screen, he saw his neighbor Preston standing in the strip of grass that ran between their houses, his back to Walter. As usual, the large pear-shaped man was garbed in overalls and a mesh NASCAR cap. Morning, Preston, Walter called out to him. Clearly not expecting anyone to respond to his outburst, Preston flinched in surprise and jerked his massive head toward the sound of Walter's voice. Well, fuck me sideways, he drawled. That's you in there, Professor? Walter pursed his lips at that and took a beat to formulate a response. Despite having repeatedly asked the man to call him Walt or Walter, the big galoot insisted on addressing him by his professional title. Initially, Walter thought it a respect thing, Hillbilly Manners playing out to the nth degree. Over time, though, he came to see it for what it was, a recurrent pot shot at higher academia, a middle finger to anyone who chose to work at a college or university, Dartmouth in Walter's case. Remembering this, Walter shook his head and said, Who else would it be? Preston barked a laugh. Well, goddamn, man. You scared the bejesus out of me. Sorry about that, my friend. Just curious what all the hubbub was about. Hubbub? Preston echoed indignantly as he approached the kitchen window. Are you fucking serious? Can you not see my goddamn lawn? Walter's glasses hung from a cord around his neck. He put them on and had a look. What he saw didn't make any sense. Instead of the lush haven of Kentucky bluegrass that typically lined his neighbor's property, there was now just a sickly expanse of light green grass, infused with legions of little yellow flower heads. Good heavens, he said, 
taken aback by the stark transformation. How long's it been that way? Preston drew up his hands in exasperation. Just noticed it this morning. Last night I put down a fresh layer of seed, and it sure as fuck wasn't this way then. Walter stroked his gray mustache and wondered about his own lawn. From what he could tell from his vantage point, there was still a bit of green, peppered with yellow, on his side, but he reckoned it prudent to get a better view. Hang on, he said. I'll meet you out front. After quickly adding creamer and sweetener to his mug, Walter took a long swig of coffee and headed for the front door. Being their typically nosy selves, Bella and Gigi trotted along behind him. Outside, the bright morning sun shone brightly in the clear blue sky, its radiance blinding Walter as he stepped onto the wraparound porch. Holy hell, he said, raising a hand to shield his eyes. He considered going back inside for his sunglasses, but the dogs rushed by him and down into the front yard, so he abandoned the notion. Seconds later, Preston appeared to his left. Bella and Gigi rushed to greet the big man rising to put their front paws on his hips and thighs. A dog enthusiast himself, Preston instructed them to sit, then knelt down and began rubbing their heads and bellies. Both dogs moaned in elation and fidgeted excitedly in the grass. See what I'm saying? He groused, scratching the dogs behind their ears. Don't make no damn sense. I mean, you hardly do shit with your lawn and you barely have any dandelions. I work my ass off, even pay for extra lawn service, and I'm swimming in the bastards. A quick gander of the situation validated the man's assessment. Well, how about that? Some textbook irony right there. Preston peered up at him for a length before letting out a loud guffaw. <laughs> Damn, Professor, he said. Sure know how to undercut a man's ire, don't you? Walter raised his mug in mock salute. A talent that saved me many an ass-kicking in my day, believe you me. Preston grunted and ceased petting the dogs. Billy and Gigi whined their disapproval. Oh, I believe you all right. Well, Walter said, if the situation was reversed, I'd give them lawn boys a call. Get them to take care of it for free. Preston mulled the suggestion over and nodded. Now what, Professor? That ain't such a bad idea. He gave Walter the old finger pistol, winked, and headed toward his house. Bella and Gigi started after him, but turned around when they heard the front door creak open. Walter glanced back to find Mary Ann standing there in her pink nightgown. What's going on? She inquired. Walter told her. After scoping out the yard, she laughed and said it was weird because her friend Mia, who lived on the other side of Hanover, had just posted something on Facebook about the crazy dandelions in her own yard. What's more, she added, is a number of other friends have been sharing similar stories. Must be one of those years, Walter said. He gazed down the street and saw that other lawns on their block had been conquered by the little yellow weeds. Marianne touched his elbow and reminded him that it was Saturday morning. So it is, replied Walter, and we have an appointment. Marianne went back inside. After momentarily surveying the random clusters of dandelions peppering his own yard, Walter followed after her. Marianne insisted she wasn't an addict, but Walter knew differently. Facebook was her drug, and it had her hook, line, and sinker. In perfect demonstration of this, not two minutes into their post-sex snuggle, 
She let go of Walter, plucked her iPad off the nightstand, and tapped her way to the older yet still very popular social networking site. I think it might be an intervention time, Walter said as he pulled on his plaid boxers. Marianne tisked at that and spread her long, gray-inflected black hair over her bare breasts. We are a voyeur nation. Sue me. Walter ambled into the bedroom's walk-in closet and searched his wardrobe for something to wear. Since it was nice out, he opted for slacks and a blue polo. Looks like this dandelion bloom is a bigger deal than we thought, Marianne declared as he dressed. Everyone's commenting on it. The news is saying it's the biggest on record. What, like in the area? Walter wondered. No, like everywhere. Apparently, they're even showing up in places they don't usually grow. The deserts of Arizona and as far north as the Norwegian Bay in Canada. It's crazy. Huh, Walter said, easing on a pair of brown shoes. Maybe I should give old Sam a call and see what he thinks. Old Sam was Samuel Clements, a colleague of Walter's who worked in the biological sciences department at Dartmouth. He specialized in human physiology, but his lofty IQ afforded him the luxury of becoming an expert in just about any field he pleased. As it happened, he found botany and ecology very pleasing. While I'm doing that, why don't you get dressed? Maybe we'll take a drive out to Macoma Lake. Get some wine? Maybe grab a bite at the ice house? Marianne powered the tablet off and set it aside. See? I can quit any time I want. Walter shook his head sadly. If only your students knew what a junkie you were. Probably lose your art cred. Marianne, who also taught at Dartmouth in the arts history department, chucked her bra at him and told him to go make his call. Careful not to press his luck, Walter grabbed his cell from the nightstand and moseyed downstairs. Samuel didn't answer his phone, so Walter left the voicemail. A half hour later, Marianne came down in a light blue summer dress and pink sweater. Walter thought she looked as lovely as she had on the day they were married, some 18 years earlier. Of course, there were less wrinkles, crow's feet, and curves back then, but Walter didn't mind. On the contrary, he preferred the added mileage. She was a real woman, comfortable in her own skin, and he found that sexy as hell. After getting the dog set up in the garage, they hopped in Marianne's Equinox and hit the road. The true extent of the dandelion situation became evident as they made their way to the lake. All through town, yards were ravaged with yellow, and the typically green fields along State Road 120 had turned the color of sunshine. This is nuts, Walter said as they passed several cars that had stopped along the side of the road so their inhabitants could snap pics of the curious phenomenon. Kind of creepy in a way, Marianne replied. No argument there. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly 
which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Ice House was a winery and restaurant built upon the northern tip of Macoma Lake. It had been fashioned in the mold of an old English castle and oddly served some of the best Greek dishes in the great state of New Hampshire. There was a 20-minute wait for the restaurant, so they saddled up to the bar to sample some of the house wines. The bar's clientele was a mix of college students and lake area locals. Unsurprisingly, much of the conversation revolved around dandelions. One group of budding intellectuals at a nearby set of tables, no doubt Dartmouthians, debated possible reasons for the bloom's intensity. It's the pesticide manufacturers. A skinny kid in a black Henley proposed. Monsanto, DuPont, Syngenta. Probably did something to boost sales. Like they needed to. Countered the guy outfitted in 90s grunge wear. No, it's a side effect of climate change. Environmental mutation. We're going to see more and more of it as things get worse. The most reasonable hypothesis in Walter's opinion came from a well-dressed gentleman who spoke with a Jamaican accent. Don't get it twisted, man. They bloom just by the natural cycle, wherein heaps more seeds from the previous season survived the unusual mild winter. He took a swig from his pint glass before continuing. You'll see it all the time with other things. Some years it's ant marches in the Amazon. Others unwanted marine species showing up on the shores with the Japanese tsunami debris. Some years it's something like COVID to catch us all off guard. Come on, man. The Henley guy interjected with a modicum of disdain. That COVID shit wasn't natural at all. Everyone knows it came straight out of the Wuhan lab. Perhaps, the well-dressed gentleman responded calmly. There is certainly some evidence to support such a claim. But that's not the point here. Henley guy looked a little disappointed he hadn't elicited an argument. And what is? The well-dressed gentleman patted him on the shoulder. Cheer happens, man. Who can deal with it? Most of the others listening to the conversation all laughed and nodded sagely. Henley guy did not. Following a delicious lunch, Marianne and Walter returned home with another lovemaking session on their minds. Pulling into the driveway, Walter noticed several flustered young men with professional spray canisters roving Preston's front yard. Their t-shirts read, J.D.'s Lawn Service. Preston supervised the operation from his elevated front porch. Walter gave him a silent thumbs up, which Preston acknowledged with a smirk and a nod. As he and Marianne drifted towards their house, Walter absently mused that there seemed to be more dandelions scattered about his own yard than there had been earlier. 
He considered mentioning this to Mary Ann, but quickly ditched the notion. There was only one flower he wanted to focus on right then, and it sure as hell wasn't a dandelion. The next morning, after omelets in bed, Walter threw on his robe and meandered out to the mailbox to get the Sunday paper, which they still paid for despite everything being available online. There was just something about the feel of an old-school paper in their hands that made them resist going full digital. And it made sense that if they were going to get the Valley News delivered one day out of the week, it might as well be the Stack Sunday edition. He was halfway back to the house when he noticed Preston standing near his own mailbox with his gaze fixed on his mostly yellow lawn. Walter called out a good morning, but the big man didn't seem to hear him. Figuring it best to let sleeping dogs lie, Walter shrugged it off and shuffled back inside. The following week was a busy one for Walter. Over the weekend, Professor Shipley, who taught period study, had fallen prey to an unidentified non-COVID respiratory illness. And Walter, who'd taught the course in the past, had agreed to take over the classes until he returned. During his rare free time, Walter repeatedly sought out Samuel to get his thoughts on the dandelion thing. Samuel, however, proved more elusive than Bigfoot, and it wasn't until Thursday that they finally crossed paths in the cafeteria. There he is, Walter said as he sat across from his old friend. Alive after all. Samuel, whom colleagues called Professor Twain due to his namesake, which was absurd considering he looked nothing like the famous author, with his mocha skin, gray beard, and bald head, glanced up at Walter with bloodshot eyes. Walter, he said wearily. I left a voicemail on Sunday. Never heard back. Everything okay? Swamped is all. Been investigating this Taraxicum enigma. Walter sampled some of the minestrone he'd gotten and noticed that his friend had no food with him, just his laptop. Figured as much. I'm interested to get your take on it. Sure, Samuel said. Well, from the data I've exchanged with numerous colleagues around the world, it appears a couple of things are going on, some of which you've already heard on the news, some of which hasn't been made public yet. Yeah? Walter said, arching an eyebrow. Secret squirrel stuff? Not exactly. All right then, spill it. Samuel reached up and dragged a weary hand down his face. <sighs> so, as you are well aware, in many other places there has been what appears to be a highly unusual bloom of Taraxicum officinale, the common dandelion. What's less known, because it's only recently been discovered, is that there's actually a new species in play. A new species of dandelion? Correct, replied Samuel. He went quiet for a moment, as if searching for the right words, then said, This species, it's clever, Walter. Structurally, it's damn near identical to a fishinale. So much so that upon visual inspection, even seasoned experts can't tell the difference. Fortunately, a team at Berkeley looked deeper and harder and found a whole slew of internal differences, enough to fully distinguish it from a fishinale. Like a subspecies? Walter said. Or microspecies? Don't most plants have dozens of variants? Careful with your semantics there, Samuel cautioned. Variants and subspecies are synonymous. But for the sake of this conversation, let's just say yes, they do. 
Indeed, a fishinale has upward of 70 of its own subspecies. But what Berkeley discovered, and others confirmed, is a whole different story. He grinned. What's more, they found evidence to suggest this new species has been around for some years now, yet it was so well hidden that no one ever noticed. Not until this year's bloom demanded a closer look. Walter contemplated that, then asked how much of the new species was in the bloom. Hmm, nearly all of it. From the samples that have been examined, the occurrence of true officinale and its subspecies is almost non-existent. Somewhere in the range of a million to one. Walter frowned. Almost sounds like it's killing off the genuine article. That or suppressing it, Samuel said. What's even more curious, though, is that this new species is also mimicking other taraxicum, like albedum, the white Japanese dandelion, and pharinosum, the Turkish dandelion, which grows on salty soil in central Turkey, plus plenty of others. Walters frown deepened as he ruminated on that. Wait, so you're saying there's a bunch of copycatting new species? No, Samuel replied. Outwardly, macroscopically, this new species is mimicking a host of different taraxicum. To put it plainly, it shows up dressed like other dandelions, but underneath it's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Through intensive microscopic evaluation, researchers have revealed that all the imposters are the same damn thing. A tiny bell sound chimed on Samuel's laptop then. He clicked on something and his brow furrowed. Apologies, he said, closing down his laptop. But I need to get going. He stood up, grabbed his laptop, and began to stride away. After a few paces, he paused and turned back. Walter. When the fruit heads come, avoid breathing around them. Protect yourself, okay? Wear masks. KN95s if you can get them. Treat it like COVID. Before Walter could ask why, Samuel dashed through the cafeteria's exit and disappeared into the sunlight beyond. Bewildered, Walter stared absently into his minestrone and wondered what the hell a fruit head was. By the weekend, news of the new species made its way to the press. It was being dubbed Taraxicum in Memorata, the last bit meaning hitherto untold. Contrary to what Samuel had revealed to Walter, the initial reports made no mention of the superweed's penchant for mimicry, nor did they accurately disclose the percentage of tea in Memorata occupying the bloom. CNN, MSNBC, NPR, and CBS all said as high as 50%, while the more conservative Fox News and Newsmax offered much lower figures. As the weekend progressed, though, the disparity went right out the window. By Saturday morning, all outlets were reporting in Memorata at around 65%, and by midday, it was 99% across the board. On Saturday evening, a special news conference was held at the National Invasive Species Council headquarters to address the phenomenon. Near the end of it, a reporter asked why the percentage of the new weeds kept increasing, to which the NISC director, Mikhail Horowitz, blithely responded, Because the amount of inmemorata we're finding in our samples is increasing. The answer drew laughs from the other media members until the same reporter asked him to clarify 
and Horowitz said it appeared the new species has been assimilating its Taraxacum brethren. A couple beats of silence ensued. Then the room was abuzz with waving hands and shouted inquiries. Dr. Horowitz dismissed them all and promptly left the podium. As he trudged away, a single voice rose over the rest and asked if there was any reason to worry. Horowitz left that one unanswered. Despite multiple attempts throughout the week, Walter failed to get in touch with Samuel again. The official line from administration was a leave of absence, but Walter learned from another colleague that the man had simply stopped showing up for work. The fruitheads, as Samuel had called them, began appearing on Sunday morning, far faster than the Taraxicum life cycle typically generated them. The vast seas of yellow rapidly turned white with sprinkles of yellow, and Walter, heeding his old friend's advice, went to Costco and purchased ten boxes of KM-95 masks. He would have bought more, but there was a strict ten-box-per-customer limit. Sorry, the befreckled kid at checkout had said. The store manager is being a real Nazi about it. Walter told the kid not to worry. Been here before, haven't we? And last time, ten boxes would have been a godsend. I sure hope so, the kid said as a fight broke out at the next register over. Walter hurried off with his masks and didn't look back. On Tuesday, the doorbell rang just before five in the morning. It was Preston and his seven-year-old son Jeffrey in tow. Preston had on sweats and an undersized white tee, and Jeffrey was in his transformer pajamas. <laughs> Natey, talk! Preston wheezed. Walter and Marianne, in pajamas themselves as well as KN95 masks, joined them on the porch. Preston started to say something but was interrupted by a terrible coughing fit. Walter directed the man and his son to the porch's wicker sofa, and the two readily obliged. Once the fit passed, Preston stared up at Walter with heavy-lidded, glassy eyes. Being sick the last few days, he said, absently scratching at his arms, which Walter saw were covered in little pox-like sores. Me and Jeffrey on Sunday and Krista yesterday. Krista was Preston's equally large and obnoxious wife. Jeffrey let out a moan then and leaned against his father. Preston put a meaty arm around the boy and tried to console him. Easy there, pal, he rasped. Easy. The boy shook his head slowly and moaned even louder. <laughs> Make it stop, he begged. Please, Dad. It hurts. Walter looked over at Marianne, whose jaw tightened and lips quivered. While neither one of them had ever experienced parenthood, both were human enough to conceptualize how awful it must have felt to have an ailing child on your hands and not be able to help them. It's the... <laughs> weeds! Preston coughed as he itched at a fresh sword that had opened on his neck. <laughs> Sounds crazy, <laughs> but I know it. He followed that up with a long belch, and damn if Walter couldn't smell the odor of it through the mask. The odor of dandelions. Doing her best to appear calm and stoic, Marianne gravitated to the wicker sofa and put the back of her hand to Jeffrey's forehead. Burning up, she said, looking at Preston. 
Your boy has a high fever. <laughs> yeah, that was quick, Preston replied. It wasn't even 100 degrees 15 minutes ago. I suspect I'm in the same boat. <laughs> so that's our cue to get going. You need to get yourselves to a hospital, Marianne said. She glanced at Walter, beseeching his assistance. Sure, Walter said. Preston, you and Jeffrey stay put for a sec. I'll just grab my keys and I'll drive you. Already called 911, amigo. <laughs> Preston cut in. I just wanted to show you. You guys been smart. <laughs> to wear them masks these last few days. <laughs> he inhaled heavily, emitting a harsh crackly sound, and rose to his feet. He helped his son get up, and together they staggered down the porch steps and onto the sidewalk. As Walter watched them shamble home like drunken zombies, Marianne disappeared inside and returned with a bottle of Purell. She squirted a generous helping into her palm and handed the bottle to Walter. Good idea, he said, slathering his own hands with the stuff. EMS arrived 20 minutes later. By then, Walter and Marianne had returned to bed, though neither was able to get back to sleep. When Walter heard the sirens approach, he went to the window in his upstairs office, which faced the street. Through a squall of red and blue flashing lights, he watched as the medics worked feverishly on the two bodies that now lay motionless on Preston's walkway. Marianne entered the room behind Walter, but did not go to the window. Do I want to know? Probably not, Walter told her, which was the truth. Jesus, tell me anyway. Walter sighed. Preston and Jeffrey are on the ground, and it looks like the EMTs are trying to revive them. They've got an AED hooked up to Jeffrey, and one of them is doing CPR on Preston. He thought both were bleeding from their heads, but it was hard to be sure amid the flashing lights. Where's Krista? Marianne asked. No sign of her, Walter said. The medic working on Preston abruptly ceased what he was doing and retrieved a rolling gurney from the ambulance. As he and the other medic loaded Jeffrey onto it, Walter thought he saw a bloody clump of something spill out of the kid's mouth. Before he could relay what he was seeing, Marianne grabbed his wrist and dragged him back to their bedroom. I'm scared, she said. I don't need the rest of the play-by-play. -play. Walter didn't protest. Frightened himself, he crawled under the covers and clung to his wife. Through the rest of the morning, sirens wailed near and far. At 7.30 that evening, Walter's cell phone chirped. It was an automated message from the university saying all classes had been canceled until further notice. Minutes later, Mary Ann's cell phone received the same call. The messages compelled them to grab their iPads and start scouring the news. It appeared things had unraveled quickly since they had last checked. Hospitals in all dandelion-bearing countries were being overrun with respiratory patients, the numbers already surpassing that of COVID at its peak. Details were scant from the CDC as to the cause of the illnesses but outlets from India, Spain, and Canada were reporting that taraxacum growths had been discovered in various organs of patients who had passed away during the last 48 hours. 
The claims were supported by hundreds of candid autopsy photos depicting lungs covered in the unlikely growth. Elsewhere, Walter found a video posted by a doctor from Jakarta who stated that the tea in memoranda seeds had proved to be extremely faculative, capable of taking root in a host of different environments, ranging from soil to wood to organic tissue. The doctor alleged he had seen stalks on the inside and outside of dozens of cows and dogs, plus over a hundred human beings, all of which he noted had succumbed to the so-called infection. Thus far, he had not heard of any successes being made in terms of treatment. Walter paused after watching the clip and noticed that the air smelled of campfires. Normally, this would have pleased him. Campfires always made him think of camping with his dad during the summer and the fall. Now, though, with all that was going on, it struck him as ominous. He got up and again went to the window in the office. He was disturbed to find that two of the houses on his street were burning, while plumes of smoke billowed from dozens of other houses in the neighborhood. The sight made him think of photos he had seen of war-torn cities in far-off countries, and it stunned him to think that something like this could happen here in New Hampshire, in the United States of America. Growing distraught, Walter padded back to the bedroom and flipped through several TV stations until he came across CSNBC, which was showing a segment on what worked against the weed. The go-to dandelion killer, glyphosate, supposedly had zero effect on it, as did 2,4-D. The one reliable method of destruction was fire. As such, the U.S. government had begun assembling massive fire crews to go out and conduct controlled burns. In the meantime, citizens everywhere were taking matters into their own hands with mixed results. No shit, Walter said, thinking of the houses burning on his own street. Marianne glanced up from her iPad. Fire's here? She asked, and he nodded. She got up and led him back to bed. I guess it's bad in Australia, too. Practically all of Victoria and the Northern Territory are in flames. All at once, Walter felt very ill. He went into the bathroom to get some Pepto-Bismol from the medicine cabinet. He guzzled half the bottle. When he came back out, Marianne told him she had been focusing on the what and why of it all in her recent online searches, but had only come across conspiracy theories and baseless conjecture. Terrorism, an experiment gone wrong, a governmental attempt to reduce the population, the first wave of an alien invasion. Lunacy, she said. Both political parties are blaming each other, claiming it's a right or left plot to win back the seats in the House and the Senate. Idiots, Walter said. All of them. Anyone offering any sort of helpful advice? The FEMA website seemed to offer the best advice. Stay indoors, seal up all household cracks and crannies. Conserve water and power where possible. It also noted that most of the power grids across the country were securely manned but there was no guarantee they would stay that way. The workers and security details had families too. Acting on the second piece of advice, Walter and Marianne set to work preparing the house. They took the plastic sheeting they normally used to insulate the windows during winter and covered all windows and vents. Walter then duct taped around all the doors and stuffed towels in the dryer exhaust while Marianne assessed the pantry situation. She estimated they had two weeks' worth of food stocked up. Not bad, Walter said. 
At least, I hope so. Who the hell knows? It's good enough for now, Marianne told them, though she had no way of knowing whether it was or not. She glanced across the kitchen at Bella and Gigi, who were busy play fighting on the faded hardwood floor. Or rather, Bella was attempting to goad Gigi into a fight, but Gigi seemed unwilling to engage, choosing instead to lay on her side and do that growl-whine thing she did whenever she grew tired of Bella's antics. What about them? Marianne wondered. What do you mean? I mean, what are we going to do about them going outside to do their business? Walter thought about it. Shit. Yeah, it's a problem. I'm not sure. The only thing that comes to mind is maybe seal up the garage and let them do it in there. Marianne deliberated possible alternatives but couldn't come up with anything better. After sealing up the garage and double-checking the rest of the house, they returned to the kitchen and discussed the idea of calling their families. Just want to hear their voices, Marianne said. They made the calls after a quick breakfast of bagels and juice. On Marianne's side, the news was all good. Her parents were sealed up tight in their Lake Champlain cottage and her sister Dora was safe with her husband Rich on their ranch in Montana. On Walter's side, things weren't so peachy. His mother and older brother Stanley were fine down in Jacksonville, but his younger brother Nathan was in the hospital, lungs clogged within memorata. They all knew the prognosis. Walter, who hadn't shed a tear in close to a decade, wept like a baby. It's happening so fast. <laughs> he sobbed after hanging up. I mean, it's weeds for Christ's sake. Fucking weeds. Marianne held him and wept too. <laughs> Later on in the bedroom, they attempted to make love, but neither had much enthusiasm for the act. Instead, they resumed watching news updates and chatted with friends online. Just before calling it a night, Marianne mentioned her regret at never having been able to produce a child. It was a tender topic, one they rarely broached, but it seemed fitting to broach it now, as there was no telling what tomorrow might bring. Walter listened attentively. He expressed his own disappointment, but made it crystal clear that the feeling was aimed at the universe at large, not at her. He did note how screwed up it was that this new weed could take root in just about anything it wanted, and there were good couples out there like themselves who had to suffer the tribulations of infertility. Marianne patted his hand and pointed out that Mother Nature was neither fair nor nice. She just is, she added. They drifted off to sleep around midnight. In the absurd world beyond their window, fires raged and sirens wailed. Weak sunlight roused Walter from an awful dream shortly after sunrise. Fuzzy-headed, he staggered to the bedroom window and had a look outside. Through the clear plastic sheet they had put up, he observed the bizarre sight. What appeared to be millions of snowflakes floating through the air. Mare, he said. You up? Marianne twitched awake and sat up. What is it? What's the matter? Wasn't it supposed to be warm today? Think so. Why? No blizzards, right? Marianne blinked at him, then drew the covers off her legs and darted to the window. 
Registering all the white floaters, she squeaked like a mouse and dug her nails into Walter's arm. Christ, it's those seed things from the, what did Samuel call them? The fruit heads. How in the hell? As if in reply, loud gusts of wind howled fiercely about the house's eaves. Listening to them howl, Walter went to his nightstand's top drawer and snagged a pair of N95 masks. Marianne put hers on without question. Once his was situated, Walter turned the bedroom television on and flipped through the channels. Every major network had emergency news going, and most had at least one camera live-streaming the seed blizzard. Evidently, waves of unexplained wind, perhaps induced by all the fires, had kicked up during the night whipping the seeds from the many dandelion fields yet to be burned and casting them into the air. A masked meteorologist from ABC went off script and said it was almost as if the winds were on purpose. Walter switched over to BBC America and was stunned to see that they had put up a death toll counter. There was a note saying the figures had been culled from various sources and accounted for both dandelion and dandelion burning deaths. At present, the counter sat at 10 million in the United States. Global estimates were fast approaching 45 million. Unable to believe his eyes, Walter flipped over to CNN. The big story there was the U.S. government's successful deployment of National Guard and Reserve troops across the country to help local hospitals and assist local fire crews. Anderson Cooper was given the report in a hazmat suit and somberly relayed that the president had invoked the Eminent Resources Act, a variant of eminent domain, wherein the troops were permitted to use whatever resources they needed to combat the dandelions. As Walter watched the report, he heard a muffled pounding sound coming from one of the neighbor's houses. God, what now? He said and hastened across the hall to the upstairs office to see what was going on. Through the hell of seeds, he saw three figures dressed in full military chem warfare gear, gas masks and all, huddled on Preston's porch. None of them bore weapons. At the curb sat a military ambulance. Krista soon emerged from the house and staggered toward the figures. They put their hands out to support her, then helped her down the porch's stairs. At the bottom stair, however, her foot caught on one of their boots causing her to pitch forward violently, breaking her escort's grip. A split second later, her 300-pound frame crashed hard onto the concrete walkway, the force of which sent a gallon of what looked like yellow-tinned salad shooting from her mouth. What the fuck was that? Walter thought as her escorts descended on her, carefully rolling her onto her back and checking her vitals. Evidently not liking the results, they hastily swept her airway, gave her two rescue breaths with the ambu-bag, and began CPR. About 30 compressions into the first compression set, the CPR giver suddenly ceased their efforts and looked back at the third member of their trio, who hung back by the ambulance. The third member began making animated hand gestures, giving Walter the impression that the three were communicating via unseen headsets inside their suits. After a few seconds of this, the two working on Krista returned their attention to her. Together, they gingerly lifted up her shirt, revealing a nasty gash along her left flank. 
from which several dozen bloody dandelions spilled forth like tangles of freshly birthed cobras. A splash of bile gurgled in the back of Walter's throat at the sight. Oh, fuck, he muttered, wanting to look away but forcing himself not to. The primary CPR giver stood up and stepped back as if in shock. Their partner searched Krista for a pulse. Finding nothing, they gathered up their supplies and retreated to the ambulance. The primary CPR giver clenched their fists and angled their face towards the heavens. Their whole body then trembled, and Walter was sure they were yelling or screaming. Before long, the trembling stopped, and the CPR giver ruefully joined their colleagues. Once all three had climbed inside, a fourth figure climbed out. This one carried a flamethrower. They moved past Krista's body and disappeared into the house. A heartbeat later, a great whoosh erupted inside and flames spread through Preston's living room. The flamethrowing figure reappeared on the porch and moved on to Krista. Another whoosh, and a large woman went up in a conflagration. As she burned, the figure with the flamethrower crossed themselves as a priest fighting a demon might then went to work on Preston's lawn, starting in the back. When they were done, another figure came out with a different apparatus and sprayed a gel-like substance along the edge of Preston's yard that kept the flames from coming too far into Walter's yard. After that, they returned to the ambulance and moved on down the street. Slowly, Walter ambled back into the bedroom and crawled into bed. Chris is dead. Marianne glanced at the window. An emotionless air of acceptance swept over her. Then Preston and Jeffrey probably are too. Your brother as well. Though Walter knew he should have felt something at this, all he did was nod and reach the numb conclusion that if his neighbors were dead and so many others were dead, then it stood the reason he and Marianne would be dead soon too. True, they had sealed everything up tight and wore masks, but who was to say they hadn't inhaled the deadly seeds before they took those measures? Or even if they were okay, the food would eventually run out and they'd have to leave the house to find more. Surely the seeds would get them then. They looked at each other and removed their masks. It seemed pointless to keep wearing them. Early the following morning, a noise from downstairs roused Walter from a terrible dream. We're inside! We're inside! He cried out frantically as he came to. Marianne, we gotta go! Go where? Marianne muttered, sitting up. Who are you talking to? Walter swung his legs out of bed and stood. He intended to grab Marianne and the dogs and find the way out of the house which was on fire in the dream. As the seconds ticked by, though, the details of his reverie turned to vapor, and his reasoning for wanting to leave became fuzzy. You, I think, he said. Now, I don't know. Oh, babe, sounds like you were having a nightmare. What was it about? You got sick, and somehow the fire crews found out, so they showed up and torched the house. That's awful, Marianne said. 
Our brains are such complex beasts. Walter rubbed his eyelids with his thumb and index finger. Something woke me, though. Some kind of sound. No sooner had he said this, a loud whine followed by a high-pitched yip emanated from downstairs. Their eyes met, and an unspoken current of fear passed between them. The dogs, Marianne said, and they both rushed out of the room. They found Bella and Gigi in the mudroom that lay between the garage and the kitchen. Gigi was lying on her side, wide-eyed and panting heavily, while Bella stood over her, tail between her legs. Bella let out a hopeful whine when she saw Walter and Marianne, but quickly returned her gaze to her ailing sibling. Foaming at the mouth, Walter noted as he knelt beside the dog. The fact the foam was light yellow made his heart quaver. I'll get us some masks, Marianne said, hurrying towards the front foyer. She reappeared within seconds with a pair of KN95s, which they both swiftly donned. Tears streamed down her face. She knew what the yellow foam meant. Please take Bella into the kitchen and close the door, Walter said, fighting his own emotions. I'll take care of Gigi. He scooped the dog up into his arms and carried her into the garage, closing the door behind them. Bella howled when he did and strained against Marianne's embrace. But Marianne held her tight and dragged the old girl back into the kitchen. A strip of carpet lay in the middle of the garage floor. Walter placed Gigi on it and looked around the garage's interior, trying to figure out where they had fucked up. The culprit wasn't hard to spot. When they had sealed up the garage, they had used towels to clog the thin gap between the bottom of the garage door and the concrete beneath. A section of it had been pulled away, as evidenced by the filament of sunlight highlighting the gap. Near it sat clumps of white fruit heads. Oh, you silly mutt, Walter murmured. Why'd you go and do that? Gigi replied by vomiting a pile of green stalks and dandelion heads. When she was finished, she expelled a loud whimper and shut her eyes. Walter stroked her neck, eliciting a single thump of her tail. I'm so sorry, beautiful girl, Walter said, feeling powerless to help. This isn't right. Behind him, the door leading to the kitchen creaked open and shut and Marianne came padding over to them. She sat across from Walter so that Gigi lay between them. She put a trembling hand on the dog's head and leaned forward to whisper loving words into her ear. Inside the house, Bella barked and howled and scratched furiously at the mudroom door, trying to get to Gigi. The anguish in her howling was as real as anything Walter or Marianne felt. It's okay, pup. It's okay. Walter said over and over. Except it wasn't okay. Not then and not a half hour later when Gigi began to gasp and shudder violently, spitting up blood. Certainly not minutes after that when her side split open and dandelions came pouring out of every orifice. Marianne clambered back inside when the shuddering started, choosing instead to comfort Bella while Walter stayed by Gigi's side. At one point, Walter seriously considered grabbing his Glock 19 from the bedroom safe to end the animal's misery. 
but he didn't want to leave her alone, not even for the short time it would have taken to retrieve it. He owed the dog that much. Once the awfulness had passed and Gigi lay still and quiet, Walter collapsed onto his back and allowed his spiraling emotions to run their course. How long that took, he couldn't say. All he knew was at the end of it, Marianne called out to him through the mudroom door, nervously asking for a status update. She's gone, he told her, glancing down at the gruesome mess that was Gigi's body. Mare, please don't come out here. It's not good. There was a shuffling sound on the other side of the door, followed by a stretch of silence. When Marianne finally spoke, her words were laced with venom and rancor. God damn it, Walter, she seethed. Why is this happening to us? Why did it happen to our poor sweet girl? Who the fuck is in charge up there? Walter inhaled through his nostrils and exhaled through his mouth. The old smell the flowers blow out the candles trick, which always helped center him. Been wondering that myself, babe. But you know there's no answer. Mystical, spiritual, or otherwise. Marianne uttered something incomprehensible before assuring him she understood. I'm sorry. I'm just a wreck, my husband. Nothing is right. I think... I think I'm going to take Bella upstairs and just hold her. She needs it. And I know I need it. Good idea, Walter said. I'll join you in a while. There's quite a bit of cleanup to do. Oh. Marianne said. Need anything from in here? Walter scanned the chrome wire shelving units that spanned the garage's rear wall. With the exception of bleach, everything he needed was there. He relayed this info to Marianne, who pledged to find him a bottle and leave it in the mudroom. Thanks, Mayor. I love you, he said, and set to work cleaning up. All told, he spent the next hour and 15 minutes tending to his grim task. Incredibly, each part of the process proved as difficult as the last. Clearing out the loads of food from the garage's freezer, carefully separating all the dandelion excretions from Gigi's body, placing them in the metal burn bin, triple bagging the dog in 60-gallon trash bags, loading her into the freezer, making her fit, mopping up the fruit heads that had snuck in through the garage door's exposed gap, adding the detritus to the burn bin and burning everything dandelion-related. Then lastly, bleaching every visible surface. Afterwards, Walter trudged his way back upstairs and took a lengthy shower. He ran the water hot and lingered under the shower head until the streamlets ran cold. Marianne and Bella were waiting for him when he came out in a fresh set of pajamas. Bella wagged her tail when Walter slipped under the covers and issued a soft, dejected mule when he stroked her neck. I know, sweet girl, Walter said, eyes growing moist again. I know. Two long and blurry weeks later, a military ambulance pulled up in front of their house. Three Kim-suited figures got out and knocked on the front door. 
When they didn't get a response, the largest of the three reared back to kick the door in, but stopped short when he saw Walter's gaunt face appear in the door's small window. One of the other figures held up a sign asking if anyone in the house was infected. Walter shook his head no. He went and got a pen and notepad and wrote, Hungry, wondering what happened to internet. Cable and internet had gone down the week prior. The three figures turned to each other and did something that surprised Walter. They gave each other high fives. Then the largest held up a finger as if to say, wait a minute, and ran back to their vehicle. He returned with a large box from which he extracted a collection of green tarps, tent poles, duct tape, and power tools. With the other two's help, he used the items to erect a small tarp chamber with a zip flap on one side then attached the chamber to the house's front door. After sealing it up with duct tape, he showed Walter a note that read, Decon Chamber. One of the others went and got another sizable box and put it in the chamber. The large guy held up another note to Walter with instructions. When Walter showed his acknowledgement, the figure sprayed down the box with a gelatinous substance, waved goodbye, and exited the chamber, sealing it as he stepped out. Every four days for the next two months, the same three figures came back with a new box. The boxes were filled with MREs, or meals ready to eat, and various health and toiletry supplies. Walter and Marianne learned that their benefactors were Larry, Jody, and Evelyn, all three 20-something Air National Guard medics from the 157th Medical Group out of Portsmouth. They were peppy and energetic in spite of their grim tasking and kept Walter and Marianne well informed on developments. Once during that period, another crew arrived and doused the exterior of their house in some sort of red liquid. The crew made no attempt to communicate with Walter or Marianne and left when they were finished. The Taraxicum in Memorata Reign of Terror officially came to an end at the beginning of July, roughly 12 weeks after it started. While traces of the aberrant seeds were still around and not all of the dandelions had been destroyed, a cure had been developed along with a successful new herbicide, so it was decided that it was safe for people to emerge from their homes. Precautions were still to be taken as the fire crews continued their work, but as the president proclaimed, the war at large was over. The final death tally came to just over one billion worldwide. China was the hardest hit with 400 million of those losses. The United States was fourth at 90 million, not counting the untold number of pets and livestock that perished. Like most towns and cities, Hanover emerged a shell of its former self, with wide swaths of it burned to the ground, including the university. Walter and Marianne elected to relocate to Santa Fe, New Mexico, where they took up posts at the Santa Fe University of Art and Design, one of the few institutions that managed to reopen its doors after the Dandelion ordeal. They bought an estate sale hacienda just outside of town and tried to settle back into normal routines. They kept in contact with Larry, Jody, and Evelyn, as well as a number of former colleagues likewise scattered across the recovering nation. Samuel, still alive, regularly emailed Walter from his new post at Harvard. His messages typically expressed awe at how efficient T. in Memorata had been, 
and claimed they would be studying it for years to come. One night, after a nice dinner of veggies grown in their own garden, Walter and Marianne discussed the possibility of adopting a child. They had already adopted a pair of black labs to keep Bella company, and they felt the next logical step was to become parents. The Dandelions had created a surplus of orphans, and they both agreed it was their responsibility to help alleviate the crisis. Parents at age 50, Walter joked. Wonder if that'd be an issue. Doubtful, Marianne said. The agencies are beyond swamped. As for our age, we'll just have to find ways to stay fit. Amen to that. Several months later, as Walter and Marianne were getting dressed for an interview concerning the adoption of a two-year-old girl, Walter received an email from Samuel. Always eager to hear from his old friend, he opened it at once. Walter, greetings from Cambridge. I hope all is well down Santa Fe way. Learn to speak Spanish yet? I have a colleague here who believes Spanish will be more commonly spoken than English in less than a century. Anyway, this group I belong to, called the Watchdogs, corny I know, has been very busy, and I wanted you to get word of our first discovery before its neutered version goes public. As you may have heard, the cure for TN Memorata is a synthetically modified cocktail of various cancer drugs. What you don't know is it also causes infertility. 79% of those who have taken it have since become sterile, myself included. Ah, oh, well, I'm too old to think about parenting now anyway. On a disturbingly related note, it seems the weed was selective in its targets, killing only those capable of reproduction. Thus far, there has not been any reported case in which the victim was sterile, a discovery that's opened up a whole new can of worms, so to speak. More to follow on that. What else? Oh, yes. Ever heard of a trait called serotony? It's an ecological adaptation in which seed-bearing plants release their seeds in response to an environmental trigger. There are various forms of this. The one we're concerned with is necrosence, which is when the seeds are released after the parent plant dies. We're seeing signs of this in the charred earth. While this is of no concern to us this year, next spring it will be, especially since Masanto's new TI-36 only suppresses the seeds. It doesn't actually kill them. Please keep that to yourself. Well, that's all the time I have for now. We're off to take some more samples. Best regards, Professor Twain. Yes, the name is caught on here too. P.S. I believe we're only scratching the surface of Inmemorata. I've got some ideas about its origins, but I'll share those after I get more data. Walter sat in his office chair for a long while, contemplating the missive's excited tone. He decided at last not to hold it against Samuel. His old friend he knew didn't think like normal people, and he had long since forgiven the man his communicative failings. Dishes clinked in the kitchen, Marianne getting things in order before they headed out. Walter closed down his email and went to her. She had dressed in a modest skirt and blouse and had applied minimal makeup. He gazed at her for a trice, quickly marveling at how wonderful she was in so many ways. I love you, he finally said. Oh, hey there, she replied. Love you too. You about ready? Yep. You? Nope. <laughs> but I will be when we get there. Outside, the sun beat down hard, bleaching the tawny landscape. 
The Equinox was parked in their half-circle of a driveway. Marianne had already started the engine, so it was nice and frosty when they got in. Before pulling out, Walter studied his front yard, which was really just a bunch of clay and gravel studded by the occasional cactus, five in his yard alone. Though looking at them now, he could have sworn there had only been four when they moved in. No, you paranoid ass, he told himself. There's always been five. No more, no less. Something wrong? Marianne asked. No, Walter drawled in a terrible southern twang. All's good, little lady. Turning his thoughts to their adoption appointment, he grinned a hopeful grin and edged the equinox out onto the sizzling street. And that was Dandelion Spring by author W.B. Stickle. A good reminder that if it ain't one thing, it's another. To hell with potpourri, too. A little about the author. W.B. Stickle lives with his family in central New York. By day, he works for the Air Force doing geeky communication stuff. By night, he reads and writes as much as life allows. His short fiction has appeared in over a dozen magazines and anthologies, to include Sanitarium Magazine and the Lovecraft-inspired collection Whispers from the Abyss. His stories have also appeared as podcast episodes on Tales to Terrify, Nocturnal Transmissions, Horror Hill, Drew Blood's Dark Tales, and Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. You can find WB on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash WB Stickle. Give him a shout. Thanks, WB. To hear a premium ad-free edition of tonight's and all the other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click Patrons in the upper menu. You'll find yourself at chillintalesfordarknights.com, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to their entire audio archive, all ad-free and available to download or stream. Thank you for your time and for supporting our sponsors. When you support our sponsors, you support this show. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chillin' Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all the latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with them each and every week. Oh, and you can find Drew Blood on Facebook and Instagram. The Drew Blood's Dark Tales podcast is accepting submissions, friend. If you've got a story or two you'd like to be featured on the show, send it to drewbloodhorror at gmail.com. If selected, you'll get the full treatment, 10 bananas. Well, I'm afraid this is where we part ways, at least till next week. So grab a drink for the road, friend. I'd offer you a bump, but, well... I guess that's Chester's territory. Hey, I kicked off my Patreon page a couple days ago, and I'd like to give a very special shout-out to my first three patrons. Brian Brylo, Bo Buwandi, and apologies if I pronounced that wrong, Bo, and Miss Shannon Schaefer. From the bottom of my heart, thank you so much, guys. It means so much to me. And if any of y'all appreciate what I do and have ever wanted to support me, feel free to go to patreon.com forward slash Drew Blood. So without further delay, Mr. Brian Brylow, 
Mr. Bo Buandi, and Mrs. Shannon Schaefer. May the wind be at your back, and may the road rise up to meet you. And if I may quote Proverbs chapter 15, verse 2, The tongue of the wise commendeth knowledge, but the mouth of the fool brings forth dandelion belches. I may have changed that just a bit. Anyway, go fuck it yourself. <laughs> and good night, y'all. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.